Hello, and welcome to this podcast from Consider This. Please let me know what you think and tell others about us on social media. This podcast was originally broadcast live on Northumberland 89.7 FM. You can hear this show live every Friday at noon. Thank you for downloading this program, and I hope you enjoy it. Hello, I'm Robert Washburn, and welcome to Consider This Northumberland, a current affairs program dedicated to the issues facing our community. We talk to the people on the front lines and those behind the scenes who make a difference in your life in Northumberland County. So I'm asking you, the listener, to take some time out of your busy day to consider this. This past week, Cobra Council passed its 2023 budget. The only person to vote against it was Mayor Lucas Cleveland. On today's show, you're going to hear Cleveland explain his opposition. There were some tense moments during the meeting and a number of significant things happened. He will talk about the debate, his statement on policing, the library, and his position on homelessness. Just a hint, it's not what you think. I'm so pleased to have with me today, Coburg Mayor Lucas Cleveland. Welcome back to Consider This Northumberland. Thanks for having me back, Rob. Big fan, as always, and I'm I'm excited to have another chat with you. There was a report released that summarized all the comments and surveys related to the budget. There was a huge range of priorities. A lot of it was all over the place. How did you as mayor interpret these comments and survey results as you were going into budget deliberations? Okay. So uh, I think we had, for the first time, really good engagement. I wouldn't say great engagement, but we saw an uptick in engagement, especially on the uh, uh Experience Coburg and on the um, sorry the website the, the the different individuals can fill out and so when we when we look at that when we see the number of individuals I mean it is a little disheartening to be honest uh, it's an uptick but it's nowhere where we need to be and and I, I I've been very adamant uh, throughout my campaign and in the first few months um, to facilitate and to try and encourage uh, more debate more engagement more feedback and I think. Um, it's been successful in some ways. Uh, definitely, I think we've seen some of the most uh, vocal uh, from the community, vocal uh, suggestions, vocal complaints from the community around budget. And it's sort of the first time. But in terms of being the mayor, I, 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 I took it with a grain of salt because it, it's how many people, 70 people, 80 people that partook in that survey of the budget. And when you're dealing with a community of 20,000, that is a very, very small segment. And it is a very engaged segment. And I speak a lot of the silent majority. And so what I try and do as mayor is I try and balance what I hear coming in from the engaged Coburg side of things with what I hear from the uh, steady stream of emails daily as well as what I'm hearing on the street in my day-to-day, because I find a lot of people are willing to talk to you on the street and in my office with my open-door policy in a way that they are not willing to necessarily sit down and fill out a, a questionnaire online. And so I, you asked sort of how I use that or how I approach the budget after that. I try and take a very well-rounded approach and to try and take in as many different perspectives as I can, as well as using that engaged covert. Could you give an example of some encounter you had, whether it was with the survey or through the methods that you just spoke about, and and say how that played into 
the budget deliberations and the final budget. Wonderful. Okay, so um, what I have heard continuously throughout the community is uh, uh, is based on communication. Um, so what I continually hear from the community as well as from staff, uh, and I think this is going to be really important, I'll bring it back to that, is that there isn't enough knowledge out there. When I ask the staff, they're constantly sending emails about the same thing over and over and over and over again. Uh, people are having to call staff and ask questions that should that are on the website, but maybe aren't as easily attained. And so as an example, when I went through my campaign and in the first four months, it's I've been very thanked for sort of the openness on social media, being willing to show up at the protesters, keeping the door behind me open whenever I'm in the office to allow people access. I'm hearing that we need to do a better job at communicating with our public. And so hearing that, what I did is I talked to staff and I and I and I said, well, how's a way we could start building better communication from both council and the mayor? And the suggestion was is that we, why don't we look at maybe bringing in an executive assistant for council and the mayor? Um, so that was something I did put forth as a motion uh, to to bring in that executive assistant. We right now the CAO and I share one, and we had looked at maybe bringing in a new one so the CAO could have their executive assistant, and I would have the same half of the 0.5 of an exec. But that 0.5 could go to council. And why is that? Well, that would help communication. It would help get those messages out. It would help the councillors get their messages out, as well as get information to the councillors. It would allow my CAO to have more access to communication. On that same vein, you'll see that during the budget process, I tried to um, get $100,000 towards our website redevelopment. I think that with a better uh, website, the more user-friendly website, we could avoid hundreds of hours of staff time being wasted on responding to questions that would be easily found on a website. And so that's an example of how I took sort of what I had heard in Engage Coburg, because you can look at Engage Coburg and you can see that there's definitely a desire from the responses for more information. When you talk to people in the streets, when you read social media, you can see the constant proliferation of a false narrative often and, and a misinformation in facts. And so I think an opportunity to create, whether that's within the system of um, employees in this office, to create more communication to the public and more available hours, as well as a, um, a new website, these are ways that I brought to the budget that sort of idea. You do have a, a public relations department, do you not? And you have several employees. 100% we have. Their, their, their job. Uh, aren't they supposed to be doing just what you, you said? They are. And, and, and Rob, the amount of work, I remember we're looking at an organization here, a $30 million organization with multiple departments uh, overseeing a variety of things. And, and our communications team, for the size of it and for the budget they are allowed, do an incredible and above average job. They're unbelievably responsible. I mean, you see the amount of content that they're putting out. This is two individuals. And it's just a constant stream of information coming out of the community. Or coming out to the community. Um, but that doesn't mean it couldn't be better with more people. That doesn't mean it couldn't be better with a better website. Because just because someone's really good at their job doesn't mean we couldn't provide more tools for them to be even better. Monday night at council, you expressed your opposition to the budget. You wanted an increase, I, I believe it was a, no more than 5%. Uh, the actual increase was just over 6%. During budget consultations and the surveys, property taxes 
was identified as the fourth highest priority. Now, according to the surveys and the engagement process, that wasn't that important. So why were you so opposed? I want to be very clear. For me, it was never about the tax rate as a number. I'm not fixed on keeping taxes at 5% or 8%. The reason I came in, I I was hoping to keep the budget at 5% is I believe that we weren't in a place in this council and our journey to come together as a team to make the very difficult decisions that we need to start making about the future of our service delivery. And so I wanted to see one of two things. I wanted to see either a very contained tax increase where we kept everything the same, making the big moves next year, or I wanted to see an increase in taxes this year with the very clear uh, notion that we were actually making very difficult decisions, deciding what we weren't going to do anymore, what services weren't we going to provide. And so because I didn't think we were in a position as a council to really start making those decisions, to really start aggressively changing our, our, our sort of service delivery model, I didn't feel that it was okay to increase our taxes at an eight, nine, or a 10%. Um, we need to catch up. That's without question. We have not stayed on top of our uh, contributions necessarily to our reserve funds, in my opinion. We have not kept up enough in terms of uh, keeping the tax increase consistent with inflation. And so we, at some point in this term, need to make a very uh, intentional move towards a more sustainable future. The reason I voted against this budget is because it didn't do either of those two things. It didn't keep taxes at a lower rate, 5% is what I was aiming for, allowing us this year to come together as a council and sort of, we're still at 8%. And when you start factoring in the stormwater charges, and when you start factoring in sort of the rate changes that we're going to see at the county level in terms of the uh, dispersion of taxes, What's going to happen this year is Coburg residents are going to be in for a big shock. And that big shock is now coming with no changes in the future. And so my concern is not necessarily with this budget. My concern is, again, I'm looking at a four-year plan. And at some point, my hope was that we would rip the bandage off, have one year of high tax rate to sort of catch up. And then every other year sort of contain it down to that three or 4% growth model. I'm concerned now with this budget that we've simply kicked the can down to next year. And we're going to be in a situation where, again, we're going to be looking at an eight or 9% without making drastic changes. And I just, I'm of the opinion always, it's a better to get it done now and not later. During your statement, you argued council was not thinking outside the box. Could you make some suggestions now as to what you were thinking would qualify for outside of the box? I I know you've mentioned something earlier, but give us a very specific example of of something you would have liked to have done that didn't get done or something you wanted to cut that didn't get cut. I guess that's the thing, Rob. I don't think it's the job of the mayor to be the lone voice of ideas. And I think that is what I was doing is I was encouraging council to start coming with their own plans. I trust immensely in the knowledge, experience, and community connectedness of my counselors. And I also believe they're all leaders in their own right. 
And so what I was trying to do is trying to encourage them to come with ideas. I have lots of ideas. Um, but, Rob, but wait a minute. Wait, 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 hold wait, on. Wait, wait, Let, wait a minute. When you were talking, though, your tone wasn't encouraging. It it sounded like you were scolding them. Did I misinterpret? Or did... Yeah, no, I, I've had to speak to many of my counselors because clearly um, – I need some communication work and I, and I'll deal with that, whether it's me dealing with the protesters and them feeling that I was speaking down to them. That was not the case. I, I've heard criticism similar to the one you've made that I was also scolding. That wasn't scolding. Um, that was, it wasn't even disappointment, Rob, you know what it was? It was a frustration in my own ability to get the council to a place where I thought we could be. What you were hearing is disappointment in myself. And it seems that it has come out as to counsel and to the public that I was scolding them. That was a, and in that speech, you'll hear twice, I specifically said that in no way, shape or form, am I saying that the counselors did a bad job? Because I don't believe they did. I believe that they have done what we've always done, which is put more bandages on bandages, which is continuing the exact same thing we've always done, without really getting into the, 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 the meat of really sort of addressing it. So when you go back to the question where you asked, what are some ideas? Rob, I could list a thousand different ideas right now about ways to change service delivery models, privatization of different places within the community, uh, a, a increase in services. I mean, look at transit. I'd love to work on transit. I would love to spend another five, $600,000 a year on our transit program to get it to be a model transit system that we can be super proud of. But to do that, we need to find a million dollars in savings in another program. I'm up to decide as a council what that program or where we're going to find that million dollars. But what we can't do is fix broken systems without creating the staff time, without creating the financial means, and without focusing council's attention on one or two big projects to really revolutionize. Well, I appreciate your point, but I mean, there are things that you do control that are discretionary that are under your umbrella. So, so for example, you have a discretionary fund where you have $2,500 for the Northumberland Hills Hospital Gala or $600 or $900 for various golf tournament fundraisers. Wouldn't that wouldn't cutting something like that be a signal to to taxpayers that you're serious about every opportunity to cut spending rather than and and be an example or again i think rob i'm being misunderstood and that's okay i feel i see that as a failure on my part on this one i'm not looking to cut spending and i'm not a tax maven who wants to see lower taxes what i want to see is a better political process I want to see better understanding in the community that you can't have both. You can't have great services and low taxes. I want the community to start having realistic conversations about what it is we want to do. And so when you start talking about discretionary spending, we're not talking about a $900 bursary here or a $2,500 bursary here. I'm talking big picture things. I'm talking waterfront redevelopment millions of dollars. I'm talking about reseeing a transit system, millions of dollars. And so, yes, could we start showing discretionary cuts? Of course, that's, but you're not going to, I, I mean, for a 1% on the tax levy, you're what, $280,000. And so 
yeah, you can maybe get fifty or eighty thousand dollars with hacking this, hacking that, hacking this. But then we also have to look at what that causes. I, I appreciate that very much, and 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 uh, you're not making uh, an argument that that's unfamiliar to most people who are listening. But I guess the thing is, in politics, you know, you have to communicate to people that you know you're asking them when you're asking these big picture changes. You know so that money's going to come from somewhere. Now you're not just going to tax everybody through the roof. You just talked earlier about you know we can't be having these eight percent you know year after year. So somewhere something's going to be cut. And I guess what I'm trying to ask you is is that you know you're you're talking about council and its roles, but what about you? And I, I guess this was something that you know while it may seem small, it it's something directly that you have. And I'm sure there are lots of taxpayers that would love to have $2,500 to go to a fundraiser with Northumberland uh, Hills Hospital or, you know, go to two golf tournaments for $600 and $900. So I guess the question is, do you ask the public to make a a sacrifice, but are are you prepared to make one as well? I guess that's the question maybe some people are thinking about. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I've made a major sacrifice stepping into this position. Let's call that what it is. Financially, it's a massive sacrifice to step into this role for four years. That in itself is a sacrifice, sacrificing the time with my family, sacrificing the growth of a business, sacrificing. But you're talking about a 20. I haven't attended any golf tournaments. I'm not attending any galas. Uh, Any spending that I've spent has been specifically geared towards creating funding opportunities. An example last night is I went into Toronto to the CEPAFAF or Southern Ontario uh, accelerator fund for movie production, at which point, you know, um, Philip Lawrence is there, David Pacini is there, several Ontario MPPs are there. Was I there to chat about movie production? No, what I was doing was talking about our waterfront and the fact that we have a $30 million project of rebuilding our waterfront and who can I count on to help support that? So I needed the money to get down to this event. I, you know, that costs money. But what am I doing there? Well, I'm advocating on behalf of Coburg to get this. So, again, we have to look at, again, discretionary spending. Sure. I'm not saying I, I need to go to golf tournaments. I, I, I don't have any intention. Um, uh, Gallows for the hospital. Great bridge builder in terms of, you know, Coburg and the hospital. But is it necessary? No. Am I willing to give that up? Of course I would be. Um I'm not in this job to, as many have said, to line my pockets. This is not the career you get into to line pockets. Um, And one of the things I've always sort of claimed is very transparent. I want to be transparent. And so when it comes to social media, talking about what I'm doing, that's where it's coming from. I'd like to go back to the engagement report. And and there were comments where people were talked about the importance of library services. Mm -hmm. And yet in the budget deliberations, uh, you were skeptical about the library. In fact, you won a narrow vote on Monday night to have salaries of library staff earning over $100,000 made public. Now, some people might think that if you wanted to debate library staff salaries, uh, you could have made a phone call, you could have sent an email to library staff and asked prior to budget deliberations. So you could also go online, and I did this, and you can look on the Sunshine List, and they list municipal staff making over 100000 and there were those that make that money is there. So what is the council's purpose then in, in taking this action? Oh, I, I want to be very clear. So first of all, I have to correct something. I'm not against the library. I'm one of the biggest library supporters, albeit maybe many don't see that. Um, what do I love more than the library? Efficiencies. What do I love more than the library? Um, 
questioning the status quo and always driving for better, more improvement. That's just part of who I am. I'm always looking for ways to improve. So the questions I asked the library were not in any way, shape or form an attack. They were very diligent questions. Hey, how do we know we're operating it the best way we can? When was the last time we took lean management principles? What is like, I wasn't attacking the library. I was asking very specific questions about its operation. In terms of uh, going on the sunshine list, one of the issues I have is that none of our library staff are listed on the sunshine list. Why is that? Why are some municipal employees that work for Coburg listed on the sunshine list that others are not? That seemed unusual to me. The other thing that I was unsure of is how on a 1.5-ish million dollar budget, we spend one point, just shy of 1.1 on salaries. I, again, I'm not a library uh, person. Like I don't run libraries. So I was asking questions to sort of understand how that is. And again, Rob, the, the library doesn't report to the council. The library reports to the library board. And that's really an important distinction here is that the council doesn't have a say in how much the library uh, staff are paid. The council has no say in how that budget is really allocated. That is decided by the library board. But do you so, have a councillor that sits on the library board? Of course I do, one member. And so I'm sure Mr. Burkat will happily work with that board to, to push that forward. And that's great. But the reality of the situation is council has not demanded, but has simply asked, please let the public know if any staff members make over 100000 because it's the right thing to do. This is a transparency piece. This isn't attacking the library. Part of what I'm trying to do in this term of mine is to make everything more accountable and transparent. And I was asked a lot of questions about where the money is going at the library. So I followed through by asking those questions. Uh, I guess it comes down to, though, a question of discretion. I mean, you could have done it quietly through back channels and got the information you need versus making a motion at council and a very Again, public thing. I, I believe as someone who is currently being drawn out through the public square, that it needs to be out in the public, that it is not, we have as a uh, town operated very much like what you just suggested, that back channel, that, which is one of the reasons why I think in our present day, we have that mistrust. I think one of the things in the public sphere is there is a mistrust of the political system. And so for me, that is the worst type of society you can live in. If you can't trust the very system that is governing our day-to-day -day activities, how can you do anything? Well, if, so, you're really, if you're really interested, though, in, in looking after taxpayers' dollars, some people might notice that uh, you didn't do the same thing with the police or uh, other departments in the town or other agencies. Can you explain why that was? Well, because the police have all reported to the Sunshine List because the police have made all of their salaries public, because the police have a duty and are being very transparent and open. You can access any of the police service board remunerations. Everything is out in the open. And so for me, I didn't have any questions because I could find all the information I needed. Now, again, I wasn't, you keep saying that I'm this um, fighting for the tax. I just wanna be very clear. I am not against taxes. I am against tax raises without quality service provision and that's where i want to be very clear i am i have no problem if, if the community is up for another 15 percent tax raise next year and that allows us to do all the great things that they want to do i'm excited to start that project and i want to be very clear i'm not on some 
short-sighted mission to reduce taxes. I'm very happy to pay taxes. I like living in a society with a high tax rate, and I like the services that are provided. I like that I can go to my public library in the CCC, and, and I, I love the outdoor pool. These are all a part of a society I want to live in, Rob. So it's not that I'm anti-tax. I'm anti-status quo, which is high taxes for, poor, for some less than ideal service delivery. Uh, all right. Forgive me if I wasn't clear. I, I think when I asked the question, I used the words looking after taxpayers' dollars. Fair enough. And, and, and I'm all for that. But it, again, I don't think that's my job to look after them. I think my job is to make sure they're getting their best bang for their buck. Top priority identified in the consultation process was safety and crime prevention. On Monday night, the issue of policing was debated. Yes, it you was. spoke at length about your support for the Coburg police, yet you argue that it's inevitable that there will be an amalgamated police force in the future. Mm -hmm. When you listen to that on the surface, that sounds a bit contradictory. Could you tease this out for listeners so that they can better understand? Sure. Um the Coburg Police Service is a spectacular model of policing. We here in Coburg have uh, what I like to refer to as we pay for a Pinto, but we get to drive a Cadillac. We have a, ma a very large police budget uh, in the area of over $10 million. However, our Coburg taxpayers are only responsible for just over $6 million of that budget because the police services self-fund themselves through our Venture 13. And, and, and that is the model of policing in the future is that we need to have a police service that thinks on its feet, that can understand, that can create opportunities. And, I, and I, my hat's off to the police service boards and to our chief for allowing myself to take over as mayor in a town with that incredible option. But when we look at the delivery model of fire and police, and we look 10, 15, and 20 years down the road, when you review our fire master plan, when you look at the cost of our last fire truck at $1.4 million, the reality of fire protection and policing services, and you look at the city of Toronto and the, what is a billion dollar police budget now? The reality is, is that places like Coburg, places like Port Hope cannot continue to see those kind of rising in costs without massive tax increases to support these institutions. When you look at Kawartha Lakes, they amalgamated all of their small municipalities into one governance model. Why is it we can deliver ambulance services at the county level, yet we're not doing that for fire and policing? Now, I'm not saying that this is a five-year thing that's going to happen or even a goal of mine. What I see is the inevitability. When you follow the numbers, when you look at the math, and when you look at where we're going, I can't speak to policing as well, and I, I don't want to get misquoted, but I just reviewed the fire master plan. When you look at the future of the required training models, when you look at the future of the required equipment, the turnaround time, we're already seeing just on Coburg budget, fire going like this, 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 this. The volunteer model of firefighting won't allow the uptake and training moving forward. So how are these small communities going to afford a full-time fire department when we're as a larger town having that constant? So what I'm talking about is not like a five-year goal of mine or 10. Like I have no intention of amalgamating the services. But what I'm talking about is we have to start having that conversation and planning for it down the road. That's what I'm talking about. So I can be in fully supported because what, what I believe the study was, was just to look at the cost savings of an amalgamated police force. 
In your statement, you apologized saying you didn't mean to offend the police force employees. Uh, but why didn't you consult with the police before you voted on this issue at the, at the at the uh, at the uh, county level? I, I guess uh, we we can either chalk it up to political inexperience or opportunistic uh, excitement. I had no idea that um, Councillor. Uh... Sorry, I'm just trying. Thank you. Councilor Ostrander was going to put that motion forward. Neither did Elena, sorry, uh, Mayor Hinuski from Port Hope. Um, what I think happened, and and I could be mistaken, is that um, there have been very preliminary talks about Port Hope and Coburg and whether they could and couldn't join forces, et cetera, et cetera. I know that many, many mayors uh, envy the, the Coburg Police Service. I don't want to put words in their mouth, but I know that our police service and the cost of the taxpayers is a big deal. And the fact that we reduce our costs yet have this great service. I know there's an opportunity here for cost savings. And so what happened is I, Brian put it on the floor and I thought, what a great opportunity to move the discussion down the road. What a great opportunity to get a study going to start these conversations again. Because the reality of the fact is those, as the police board will tell you, all of the costs modeling on the 2007 report have no relevance today. So that report is essentially garbage. Now that report, and this is where I made the mistake, was more of a, if the OPP were to take over Northumberland, what would that look like? That wasn't the intention for Mr. Oshlander or myself. What we're looking for, at least I can speak for myself, is I want to know how many millions could be saved if we were to amalgamate the police force and not countywide. I just want to know that number. Because it's never going to be all of a sudden zero to countywide. It will be a slow progression. But in order to start making that happen, we have to start seeing what kind of, because if there's no savings, then what's the point of even having the conversation? I guess some people might think, well, you could have asked to table the motion so that you could have consulted. I, I, I 100%. Think that, yeah. I, I, I acknowledge that uh, criticism. I think it's a fair and accurate criticism. And it's one of the reasons I, I had to get out in front at the council. And really, this is a full uh, example of political inexperience. I, I, I'm not backing down from a failure here on my part. I've talked to the police service board. They failed alienated. I've talked to the chief. They felt alienated. That's on me. Uh, that's... And moving forward, I will 100% ensure that any time that comes up, I will refer to the professionals. One of the things, though, you did say as part of your statement was that you separated your hats from local and the county. And, you know, while you're in the, with talking to the town, you know, champion the town, but you go to the county council and, you know, you've got to be a county councillor. That was one of the criticisms that a lot of people had before that, you know, who's our champion at the county level if it isn't the mayor? How How is what you were saying at council any different than what previous mayors have done when they've tr separated and we really haven't had the strong voice at the county? Well, I think, I think, what does it, I think we have to go back. What does a strong voice look like? For you, like, what does that look like? Is it someone that's advocating or is it someone who's making a fuss? Because I think that's a very clear delineation. I could be making a stink and causing commotion and and, and uh, getting more media attention and, and, and causing enemies at county on behalf of Coburg. But where's that going to get us? Is that actually going to help Coburg in any way where the mayor is of Coburg is not part of the county council? Well, no, I think. 
being a champion at the county while also being the mayor of Coburg is part and parcel of the job. And so I am a huge advocate at county. And I have been ruffling a few feathers. So be it. Um, it's not an intention. I have unbelievable respect for my fellow mayors at the county. The staff at the county are spectacular. The use of the weighted vote hasn't been necessarily appreciated that much, and that's okay. Um, but I am out there advocating. Further, I mean, when you look at some of the portfolios that I've been put in charge of at the county, I think you're seeing that the county is also seeing I am championing. So when I'm being put sort of on the community safety and well-being um, Northumberland committee, I think that's an example of clearly advocating for Coburg at the county level, because I think one of them, as you said, the number one concern in Coburg is that safety, is that what we're seeing out on the streets. And so there's an example of taking something that's very important at Coburg, getting at the county, and then doing the right work at county to make sure I'm on that committee, that I'm there able to, to, to steer the countywide response to community safety and well-being from a Coburg mayor's perspective. I'd like to shift gears a little bit now and talk a, a bit about homelessness. Now, you've been articulate in the past and in public uh, about uh, wanting to uh, deal with the homeless issue. Um, but on Monday night, uh, you voted against a, a motion that was aimed at addressing some of the issues. Can you explain why you took that position? Of course. So let's start with the very beginning. Uh, the issue of homelessness, substance abuse, mental health, poverty, unemployment. I mean, these are five of the top seven reasons why I ran to be the mayor. Is to address it. So let, let's be very clear. There, there. Now, when you say um, some of the work I've been doing, roundtable, open door policy, community service, well-being, like I'm working right now to build that knowledge and understanding and fill that gap. Um, I have experience uh, dealing with people with substance abuses, mental health, and poverty. I've I, I've worked with them. Um, being on the oil and gas industry, I'm well aware of a lot of issues around mental health and substance abuse. I've lost friends, personal close friends of mine, too. Uh, mental health and substance abuse. So this is something that's very important to me. The reason why I was against the motion at council is I do not believe that anything to do with community safety and well-being should be at the Coburg level. Coburg Council has a clear mandate, and, and that is not the delivery of social services. The delivery of social services is a county prerogative. We have legal opinion saying that. We have clearly defined roles. The issue is, is that this council for several years now has been getting pulled into social service delivery and at the expense of things that we should be focusing on at this level of government. So while I can fully support that we are in a crisis, while I can fully support that we are uh, needing to work on homeless and home affordability well i need to we have to create more funding opportunities for mental health programs we cannot continue to deal with these issues at the coburg level so i am against any attempt from the public bringing it to the coburg council because that is not where they need to be advocating so are where they you need saying to be just a second are you saying then the sleeping cabin proposal 
which is a local initiative coming to Coburg Council. You don't support that? Is that what I heard or did no, I misunderstand? You did misunderstand. What you were hearing is I am against, I don't necessarily, I, I'm Sleeping Cabin Collective, like it, dislike it. I believe it should be being petitioned at the county level. I see. Do I think it should be at the Coburg level? No. Is that where we're at? Yes. And that's what we're dealing with right now. And, and I appreciate these volunteers. I worked with Alistair. I worked with Jenny. These guys, their hearts, their minds, they are dedicated individuals who are actually doing. They're not just saying, they're actually doing. And so I don't want to throw any mud in that direction. Do I think they should be petitioning Coburg? No. Do I think they should be taking that idea to the county? Yes. Is it harder at the county? Of course it is. The county, the larger the organization, the harder it is to make change. That is just a fact of life. When you're working with a small little business of three or four people, it's easy to affect change. When you're working at Coca-Cola with hundreds of millions of employees, culture shifts take years. So what's happening is you're seeing that at the Coburg level, it's much easier to feel an effect. It's much easier to get a result. It's much easier to see the effect of your actions because it's a smaller organization. And it's much easier to tie up that organization with whatever project that's going on. The county is really hard. You know what's even harder? The province. When we talk about mental health, when we talk about um, mental health resources, that's the province. And so I'm not saying they're not doing it, but in order to advocate for more mental health dollars, that has to be going to the provincial level to advocate for. But just to get some clarity, I mean, you're saying, though, it's easier to work at, at the lower tier level. So why not get on board and get stuff done rather than send them because up? Because it's and... not because it, it, you can't get things done in an organization with only 30 million. We don't have the resources. We don't have the staff. We don't have the specialists. There isn't a social service manager in Coburg staff. There's an entire department at the county. There's the county has the hospitals, the county funding goes through United Way. So the United Way catches like all of the social service delivery comes through the county. So if you're going to have a task force, a solution, an organization, that's where it needs to be. No one at this staff has the bandwidth because it's not in their job descriptions, the experience, the knowledge. So it's great that you, yes, at this level, but at this level, there isn't the resources, the skills, the training, or the require the time. And also, we're not legally allowed to step on the toes of other levels of government. That's the way it works. It would be much better if that's, oh, we're all, but then we're replicating services, Rob. And I think that's really important. We need to focus to get more results, not divide and spread out. So... With this proposal now going through the planning department, um, and, I mean, it looks like nothing's going to get done for this winter to help help the people. But why would you let it go the, to this point if that's the way that you feel about it? Because I'm only one of seven votes. Let's be very clear here, Rob. I don't represent all of Coburg. I've got seven councillors. Or sorry, six councillors, five councillors and deputy mayor. And so my opinion, and I've been very clear with Jenny, with Alistair, with the, the, the members, this is a long-term project 
that will take long-term solutions. I mean, the county just, as an example, the county just released that the county bought 26 unit apartment building that they're going to be, this is, this is really big news. How long has that been in the process for? A long time. Were we allowed to talk about it? No. Was it in closed session? Yes. Did it go through many, many months, if not like half a year or longer to get to where we're at? Yes. Now the public is just finding out about it now. This is the kind of stuff that we need to really understand is that there is a misconception, I think, in the community that we're not doing anything. Millions, tens of millions of dollars are being spent every single year in this county towards substance abuse, mental health, poverty, and unemployment. And there are a lot of things that are in the works that are already working and plans to come. And what I am focused on are those things. I'm not saying that the Sleeping Cabin Collective isn't a good idea. I'm not saying it shouldn't happen. You're asking why I would let it go through? Because that is the will of council. So then what's next for Coburg Council when it comes to homelessness? I guess I, I need a little definition on the question. What do you mean what's next? Well, we're we're at this stage. Uh, you've got a motion that you passed on Monday. You've got the Sleeping Cabin Collective going through a development process. So I, I just, as you're sitting as mayor, um, where do you see everything kind of moving towards from a council perspective? I can talk about where I would hope is I would hope council would continue to push towards the county. My hope is that Coburg Council will get doing what Coburg Council needs to do. What Coburg Council needs to do is not social service delivery. What Coburg Council needs to do is get a handle on the downtown parking scenario. What Coburg Council needs to do is we need to get a handle on the waterfront, on um, developing affordable or, or developing lands in the communities that can then be given to create affordable housing, getting development here so that there's apartment buildings to be rented for people, creating opportunities in this community for uh, jobs, for places to live. Anything that's in our mandate, we need to focus on. And our mandate is not social service delivery. So when you ask what my hope is, my hope is that this council will focus on what we need to focus on, which is working with our police, working with the library, working to make the downtowns clean, working to the waterfront, have a vision, work to fix transport, parking, snow removal, the nitty gritty of running a town, we can start focusing on. And I'm not saying we shouldn't be also working to address homelessness, but the way we address homelessness is by working with the county, not setting up our own task forces, not setting up our own little uh, silos. Talk to anyone in the social service delivery as I have. The biggest problem right now on that side of the spectrum are the silo approach to helping individuals because it's never just one or the other. It's a combination of things. And unfortunately, our current social service delivery model tends to be very siloed. And the individuals who aren't necessarily the greatest at navigating those silos are the ones who tend to fall through the cracks. I don't wanna create more silos. I wanna bring us together. I wanna to see solutions that are cross uh, societal, meaning they involve the police, they involve fire, they involve mental health experts, they involve substance abuse experts, they involve the court system. And getting all these people at the table with the county 
safety and well-being Northumberland is that plan. And so for me, I want to focus on the plan that was mandated by the provincial government that we spent two years engaging people with lived experience, all of the social service agencies, our public, the experts, and this is the plan they came up with. Why aren't we following the plan? Why aren't we doing what the plan has been laid out to do while we're trying to do this and this and that? Like, here's the plan. Let's follow the plan. Coburg Mayor Lucas Cleveland, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me today. Always a pleasure. Thank you very much. That was Coburg Mayor Lucas Cleveland. I want to thank my guests this week for talking to me. And I want to thank all the listeners for tuning in today. Please join me again next week when we will talk to the people on the front lines and those behind the scenes who make a difference in your life and Northumberland County. So please tune in. If you would like to listen or share this or any podcast, please check out my website at consider-this.ca. There you will find past podcasts, news, and other information about life and politics in Northumberland County. Or you can go to the radio station's website at northumberland897.ca. I'm Robert Washburn. Thanks for taking time out of your day to listen in, and I hope over the week you will continue to consider this. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Consider This. If you have any comments or would like to suggest a story, please contact me at considerthisnorthumberland at gmail.com or you can message me on Facebook at Consider This. If you enjoyed this podcast or are looking for more news and information about Northumberland County, please check out my website at consider-this.ca. That's consider-this.ca. And don't forget to share. And again, thank you for listening and stay tuned for more from Consider This.